You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 180. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you like to find your podcasts. By now, I hope we're there. Or, uh, well, no, I guess not. Or you can also visit us at codingblocks.net where you can find our show notes, examples, discussions, and much more. And you can send your feedback, questions, and rants to comments at codingblocks.net. And follow us on, you know what, don't follow us on Twitter because you can't handle the truth. You can't handle the tweets <laughs> that we got. We, we, we dish, we throw some shade. It's so scandalous. <laughs> but okay. if you were well, that was like a weird uh, promotion for yeah. socialing all the things. Yep. Now, don't you want to know? Don't you want to click it? Well, That's you right. can find out uh, at Coding Box if I'm uh, totally full of it or not. Uh, also, if you go to codingbox.net, you can find all the social links at the top of the page. And with that, I'm Joe Zach. I'm Michael Outlaw. And I am Alan Underwood. This episode is sponsored by Mergeify. Save time by automating your pull request and securing the code merge using a merge queue. All right. So tonight we're talking about the great resignation, uh, which is a kind of phenomenon that we're going to find here. But basically, a bunch of people have changed jobs over the last couple of years in interesting ways. So we're going to be talking about that, what happened, uh, why we think it mean, you know, the experts think it happened, and kind of what it means for the uh, future of developer jobs. First couple of reviews. I'm curious about these quote interesting ways that they that they that they resigned in. Did you have stories like that at the ready oh, for us? Like, did I say interesting you know, ways? I somebody parachuted in to like drop off their resignation. <laughs> like, I'm out. Yeah. So we'll have some uh, resources about just like people quitting on camera in spectacular ways. Oh, nice. Uh, okay. So I meant interesting, uh, interesting reasons why, why they quit, not oh, okay. ways they quit. Sorry. All right. Well, uh, you know, we like to say thank you to those who left us a review. So from iTunes, we got Chuck rugged. So awesome. thank you, Chuck. Or was Chuck rugged? Oh, Oh, uh, that's a good point. That's a good point. Could be. Don't know. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to find out later. You could leave, you could always leave a comment on this particular episode at um, codyblocks.net slash episode 180 and let us know whether it was rugged or rugged. You know, it's, yeah, yeah, I want to know. So we, could, we, we need to know if you right. get to pick. I know which, which one I pick. <laughs> the sand. Uh. <laughs> so, what is the great resignation? Have you all heard this term first off? Yes, I think I have. Okay. Yeah, I hear it on the radio and stuff the news sometimes. So yeah, I've definitely heard it about it for a couple months. And I got kind of interested in it because I heard from someone that uh, there are a couple industries, you know, people quit more more often than others. And uh, I was interesting, uh, interested when I heard that software development was the highest uh, really? rate. Yeah, across the different sectors that they looked at. So, now, is that the highest just because of the great resignation that happened during the pandemic or is that just a general you know truth so hey, i'm talking about in great resignation okay uh, and the great resignation wasn't just software right like we're talking right. across all industries in in the u.s well, specifically. yeah that's why i was curious to know if like you know was maybe was software development always a high attrition rate versus uh you know it, during normal, normal, you know, uh, life, what, what would it, what, yeah. what did we refer to life before the pandemic? Like normal stuff, things, 
pre-pandemic. I don't, yeah, I don't whatever know. that life was but, like. But uh, guess what? Uh, we have answers to all those. We might have to do some digging in the articles here. But um, the Harvard, Harvard Business Review's got a really great article with a couple stats on stories about it. And we got a couple of a bunch of links that we'll have in the uh, in the show notes down the resources we like section. But uh, to answer your question, so uh, just really quickly, when I'm say, talking about the Great Resignation, I'm talking about a specific period in time that started. I forget when. Let me pull. I should pull up that chart before we started. But uh, Wikipedia has an uh, inter- interesting uh, chart on it that makes it kind of easy to see. But uh, you'll see right at the beginning of the pandemic, when the U.S. shut down, uh, there was a huge spike in layoffs, and so a lot of people went out of work, and unemployment spiked. And then. Uh, kind of after that, you see the jobs start coming back and then you see all these people quitting and sometimes they had new jobs to go to. So they didn't actually affect the, uh, employment rates and sometimes they just quit, uh, which is, you know, kind of interesting. So let me find out that time period. Okay, here we go. So I'm looking at a chart on Wikipedia. Um, doesn't really say the month, but basically early 2020, there's a huge, uh, dip and then a huge, um, a huge increase in, and I say huge increase. I'm talking about uh, ultimately, we're talking about the the rates of people quitting uh, got up to three percent, which doesn't sound very high. But when you think about it being on average like two percent in the last five years before, that's like fifty percent increase. Yeah, that's you a know? lot. Yeah, that's a lot. It was, it was millions of jobs. Yeah, and we're talking about the workforce, right? In the the US. entire workforce, right? This is the so, U.S. workforce, though. Right. They were talking this, about this numbers, this graph that I'm talking about is specifically US. But the this uh phenomenon was not uh not specific to the US. In fact, uh let me see got a list here. Uh Europe, China, India, and Australia also had some kind of similar phenomenons, just not to the extent, not to the rates that we did. Yeah, and so there's some some interesting things about it. So uh one thing that's interesting is that we saw that there was a lot of uh, worker demand and labor shortages. And if you remember, you know, or I'm sh- sure you saw this like early on in the pandemic, you passed by places that were just desperate for workers or places like uh, a McDonald's or something would be closed and they'd have a, you know, please come to work kind of sign because people just weren't showing up. And so that's, you know, kind of funky. It makes you think that maybe those people have better jobs to go to, or maybe they just decided it wasn't worth it for whatever reason. I mean, I don't, I don't know about in your area in your neck of the woods, but I mean, there are areas around me that like have been closed, you know, where like, like thinking of like restaurants and whatnot that, yep. you know, where the dining rooms have been closed since, you know, this started since the, uh, you know, the pandemic was declared in like, er, what was that early 2020? Right. So yeah, still are closed. Right. There's, there's many of them around us. That yeah. Are. That, that, that's what I'm saying is like, you know, so for two plus years now that, you know, some of these places have been, have been closed like that. And I don't know if it's because of the worker demand not being there or if it's, you know, other reasons, but yeah, I mean, I guess now that you bring it up, I'm like, Oh, it's probably worker demand. Yeah. I get is what I would guess. Maybe. Yeah, and so I will say that um, the uh, it, depending on different articles and how they slice it up, um, the uh, hospitality industry uh, had the uh, generally agreed upon the highest rates of people quitting without swapping. So it always means like they didn't quit what job in hospitality and take another job in hospitality. But when I, okay, left. so what is uh, you know? Forgive my ignor- ignorance here. 
when we say hospitality industry though, cause I think of like hotel type industry or catering or yeah. Yeah. So the official definition is broad category that includes uh, lodging food. Okay. And, so restaurants are in that. Yep. Uh, lodgings, food, and drink services, event planning, theme parks, travel, and tourism. Hotels, tourism agencies, restaurants, and bars. Yep. Yep. So those people quit and didn't come back. They quit, got um, a job in a different industry. Maybe. It's hard to, to oh. really say. Oh, okay. So they could have quit and just not gone back to work, period. You're yes. Saying. Yes. Yeah. And okay. uh, there's uh, definitely a lot of people did that because the second point here I got that's kind of interesting is that this is a period of high unemployment. So even though I said there was high worker demand, there were a lot of people out there. And if you remember the way unemployment is measured, it gets really tactical into specific, very detailed specifics, but you can kind of think of it generally as people that want a job, they can't get a job. How do you measure want? That's tough, but it, you know, there's just some fancy statistics and well, gathering the, methods. Okay. Again, I, I'm going to have a whole bunch of like ignorant questions that I'm going to ask because at least in the U S though, the unemployment is calculated based solely on those that are collecting unemployment insurance, right? No, no, I thought it was no, no the, um, there's the federal, Oh gosh, you're going to make me do some work here. Uh, there's a, someone that basically public, there's a, there's an agency that publishes a report every month on unemployment and it's not specifically the unemployment, uh, benefits. It's, uh, well, how do they know how, who's unemployed then? I thought that was the whole way that they knew was like, if you were collecting the benefits, then they would know that you are unemployed. And so that's where they could track the number. And then, and, but then the problem with the unemployment benefits was you, there could be reasons why you no longer qualify and you roll off. And so therefore you could technically still be out of a job and might want a job, but yet they're not tracking you and you don't count towards their numbers. And then there was also people who, you know, don't qualify for it and didn't aren't trying or don't care to have a job either way, you know? So I thought there was like two groups of people that like might not be counted. Well, we also have to remember during this, this pandemic, right? There was the stimulus checks and there were people that were actually making more not working than they would have been working 40 hours a week. And so that might be part of the high, just, Hey, I'm not going to work right now. Right. Well, I'm not even getting into that. I'm just trying to understand like the, the, the number, the right? unemployment. And thing, I, I yeah. thought that it was so, tracked based on unemployment. So Joe's telling me I'm wrong. So, uh, the real answer is several pages, uh, <laughs> but it, it, they do publish, but it, the Bureau of labor statistics publishes, uh, a monthly, uh, basically report on this. But it comes from a, a bunch of different sources. So unemployment factors in, like the, the unemployment benefits in the U.S. Uh, also, there's some surveys that they factor in where they you know go out and actually call or do some sort of census, you know, statistics gathering. Um, there's a bunch of other. Uh, I mean, it's it's like pages, uh, but we'll have it in the show notes. Uh, but basically, the here they've got the outline. This is on the actual. Um, Bureau of Labor Statistics uh, website saying the basic concepts are um, they try to identify people uh, who have jobs and are employed, people who are jobless, looking for a job and available for work. They say the labor force is made up of the employed and unemployed and people who are. Sorry, these are just the concepts. This is not how it's actually measured, measure, but these are the kind of the, the actors. So there's people with jobs, people who want jobs. Both of them all together, and then people who 
are not employed, but don't want to be employed and they're not part of the labor force. Right. So like elderly, you know, retired people, for example, might fall into that latter one or like, um, you know, a stay at home spouse might fall into that latter category. Yeah. And they, yeah, they talk about like people being on maternity leave or paternity leave or, um, you know, striking being part of a labor dispute. Like it gets, it gets really down to the weeds. Hmm. Learn something new. So, so we were in high worker demand with the labor shortages and high unemployment at the same time. Yeah. So right there, there's a couple of things you can kind of infer. Like maybe those jobs that were, you know, quote unquote high in demand didn't pay enough or weren't flexible enough or weren't, you know, interesting enough. Or maybe people were scared of the pandemic or, you know, just decided to do other things, had savings to fall back onto. We're holding out for something better. Maybe they just took longer to get another job. I mean, I definitely read stories during the beginning of, you know, the, well, maybe not even beginning, but, you know, uh, within like, let's call it the first half of this thing where, you know, for some people, it was a matter of um, not wanting to take the risk of going back to work or being, cause like maybe their work environment, you know, they just didn't feel like it was safe for their family. And so, uh, you know, when they did the calculus, they were like, you know what? It's just not worth it for me to, to go in and take that risk, bring and risk, bringing it back to my family. Uh, and then there were also people that had, after being forced to like reevaluate finances and whatnot, realized, you know what? I can not go back to work and it's actually going to save me money. Cause maybe like cost of childcare and things like that, you know? Um, so there were, there were, uh, you know, personal reasons that they would, that they, you know, decide and come to that would say like, Hey, you know what? I, I don't have to go back to work. But in that case though, they're like not counting in this unemployment rate because they decided that they don't want to go back to work in that, at least in that Ideally. latter example. But it's the way that, uh, you know, like no matter how you slice it, the way we measure unemployment is far from perfect. Right. So you people argue all the time that it's really higher or it's really lower, you know. And it's hard to say. Your your next stat is actually pretty interesting. Yeah, this is interesting. So um employees between 30 years old and 45 years old had the greatest increase in resignation rates with an average increase from pre-pandemic of 20% from 2020 to 2021. So people in 30 30 to 45 years old were more likely to quit. And when they say quit here, it's quit or change jobs. So, so just interesting. Leave Microsoft, go to Google. Leave Google, go to Apple. Leave Apple, or go to Spotify. McDonald's oh, or, or they, okay. Anything. They went to McDonald's. Could be cross sector. Yep. <laughs> could, it, could, it could be. Could be. Uh, the, low, uh, the resignation rates actually dropped for people in their 20s. Uh, I didn't see a number for that, or at least I didn't write it down. So, so most people in their twenties held on to their jobs. Yeah. So maybe I wonder if there's some a, assumptions there. Uh, yeah, I wonder if there's a stat there that like they were incentivized to stay. Like the employers yeah. were like, "Hey, we now have a younger workforce, and we would like to keep it that way." Yeah, or maybe they didn't have uh, a month's bills in the bank or something, and maybe they had less money oh. in savings than older workers. That's a yeah, that's point, a too. very good point. Starting out, you got school, school debt, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Older workers are maybe like, you know what? I don't have to take this crap. Uh, I got more connections in the industry, more places to hop. And like newer person, they're just kind of maybe feel lucky to have a job. Right. I don't know. 
Uh, so I mentioned uh, tech and actually healthcare too uh, led the trend. Um, we were at 4.5% overall and 3.6% for healthcare. So you think like, you know, if most of the U.S. was 50% increase on unemployment, or, or sorry, uh, people quitting, we were double. It's a lot. And I know a lot of people just anecdotally that changed jobs during the pandemic, like way more than the last couple of years. I don't know how you all feel, but definitely felt high to me. Yeah, I definitely saw several people move, no doubt. Yep. And um, when surveyed about it, people said stagnant wages, working conditions um, were the, the leading causes for why people said they left. I mean, oh. I wouldn't be surprised, especially in our industry, when a lot of the big companies, Facebook, um, they were one of the ones that led the way with saying, hey, we're going to be remote from now on, right? And so you'd see a lot of people saying, oh, I don't have to go to an office and I'll never have to go to an office. I'm going to go ahead and go apply for Facebook or Meta or whatever you want to call it now. But but I think that we saw changes in, in our industry that probably prompted people to say, you know what? Like, okay, I live in, you know, I live in Arkansas somewhere where the wages aren't as high, but I can work remotely for a place like Facebook and make more money and ultimately have a better quality of life, right? Um, I don't have to live out in California where the prices are higher. I can live here and live better. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a lot of that happen too. Yeah, I think that's the kind of the main takeaway for me and like thinking about this is, Okay, the great resignation, it already happened. That, like, that already started last year. It's kind of calmed down by now. What does it mean for us going forward? I think part of it is like, yeah, you've seen companies already adapting and they're realizing, oh, you know, our workers want more flexibility. They want higher wages. Uh, they want to work from home uh, and they want to be able to live wherever they want to. So people in the tech industry, at least, have kind of opened and that, that's opened some doors with even major companies and a lot of smaller companies for sure going full time remote or uh, remote as an option. Now, what's this? What's the stat, though, for people that quit because they wanted to go work somewhere else to like code and go or rust? I mean, those were high <laughs> on the Stack Overflow poll. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah I'll have totally. to look at the survey results. Yeah. Uh, I wish we could know stuff like that. That'd be nice. To fill out some government forms every time you quit jobs, to let them know why, and yeah. fill it in the comment section. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's what we want to do. Is like have to tell the government why we're leaving. Yeah, exactly. and you're going to answer it honestly too. That's that's what I was going to say. Everybody's going to be completely honest about it. Um, yeah, perfect. It actually reminds me. I was listening to um, uh, not this American Life. What's the financial one? It's it's one of those. This oh, financial uh, life. Oh. <laughs> Planet money. Planet money. Yes, Planet I was listening excellent. to that. And they were saying that they were actually, there was an episode about um, what makes a good manager. And I know this is a tangent, but the interesting thing was they said it is really hard to quantify because the only way you can get data about this is with surveys and surveys are just horrible with honesty because People, when they, when they do something about their, their manager, right? Like, is he good? Is he bad? Is she good? Is she bad? You know, they think that, oh, well, if I say something bad, then it's going to reflect bad on me. And so, and so people just aren't honest with it. And so, you know, that's, it just reminded me of that whole, hey, if you leave and you tell, yeah, you're not, nobody's going to be honest. So you're still not going to have any good data. Yep. Yeah. I feel like if you survey even the same person just at different times, it's like, while they're still working in the company, how's your manager? Like, oh, four out of five. Uh, after you leave and after you've had a beer, one out of five. In your next <laughs> job interview, maybe three. Right. You know? Yeah. 
Yeah, it, it's it's horrible, and I don't think it's anything that people do on purpose. It's just you know a, a lot of questions like that you answer they they can be emotionally charged, and it's you know it's like you said it could be a different time of day even. Yeah. So what's the right answer? How was right. the manager? So I, I don't. Yeah. So numbers are hard. Is what I'm numbers are hard. Yeah. Yeah. E- even when it's just a one to five, <laughs> numbers are hard. Well, I for one love Roman numerals. What is that? Wait for it. I think I'll off Rose. You just connect. I got it. I don't got it. I, for one, <laughs> oh, love geez. Roman numerals. Okay. Nice. <laughs> Thanks, Darren. Yes. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, so let's talk about what this means for the companies. Think about uh, if, you know, you're a, uh, uh, Facebook or uh, Microsoft or, you know, even smaller companies too, uh, maybe, maybe even more impactfully for small companies, the number of people that you've got quitting and, you know, coming in has doubled from the year before. And now, especially with COVID going on stuff, a lot of times you aren't in the office, you know, things are just different. The way your work is different and your, the work you've got to do just the overhead of hiring people is, is doubled and hiring is not cheap. You got to find people. There's referral fees. If they get referred, recruitment, working with agencies, getting job descriptions up, like even putting a job description up on the websites. I don't know. It feels like a lot of work. <laughs> I hate it. And then once you hire them, how long does it take to, for a person to become productive till actually earning their salary? Like um, we, we're, we'll get into this later, but we were looking at, um, was it Netflix uh, hires grads right out of college and pay them uh, like 240,000 a year. And we looked this up and it ends up being about a thousand bucks a day. So your first day of work, they hand you a thousand dollars. Second day of work, a thousand dollars. You have done squat, right? Yep. How long until you start actually earning your keep? It's crazy to think about. And, and here's the thing, right? It, when we say hiring is expensive, if you take it out even further than that, so it takes you, I don't know, let's say six weeks for somebody to get productive and, and actually really know what they're doing. If they leave at that point, it's, it's more than them just leaving because now you've got another six week ramp up time for somebody else to, to slot in there. Right. So yeah, it's expensive all the way around retaining and acquiring talent is it's, it's way better if you can retain it. Right. Yep. Yeah. Companies really don't want people to leave. And so, uh, you know, what are companies Do doing they? to try and keep people? I mean, it doesn't is that seem like true? it sometimes, right? Right. I mean, it really doesn't feel like it really feels like companies are more like they, you know, they want the fresh ideas and they want the churn is the way it seems like nowadays, at least in some of the companies we've been in that have high, high churn. Maybe it's interesting, though. So it seems that way because there is high churn. Right. But we've talked about the fang companies. Right. And a lot of them have similar compensation methods, right? Which are, they, they pay you a decent salary, but then they really compensate you with stocks, right? And the way that they try and keep their hooks in people is, hey, you're not going to start getting those stocks until you've been here a year, right? And then you're really going to start making some good money because it's going to start pouring in. So, so if you look at it purely from a compensation standpoint, it looks like they are trying to retain talent, right? Because it's it's what they call the golden handcuffs, right? Like you see this big chunk of money that's going to hit if you stay for a year. 
you're going to try and stay that year, right? No matter how bad it is, you're going to see this payday coming up. And so it seems like that's what it is, but there, there definitely is still high turnover, even, even with the, within these companies, right? Where they do compensate very well. Yeah, it's interesting, especially if uh, yeah, I, I think um, if you're there's certain kinds of shops, especially the game industry is famous for like kind of hiring young, burning them out and letting them go. But if uh, your next wave of workers every year is coming in wanting 10% more salary because the market's gotten more competitive, then uh, that gets a little less appetizing, right? Yeah, that's true. So I think the hope here is that if these companies are having to compete with uh, this huge now global job market, that the companies have to have better offerings. So now, uh, you know, we mentioned a person uh, in Arkansas going to work for, say, Netflix. Now, the companies in, in Arkansas now, They've got a decision to make. Like, what are they going to do to try and keep that person that used to work for them? You know, maybe they can give them better working conditions, maybe better pay, maybe, you know. I like how Arkansas is the example here because you know who's based out of Arkansas. Walmart. Walmart. Dude. Right. Yeah. Who's notoriously not paid well, right? For for corporate Walmart, though. I don't know what they do. Yeah. Because that's what I was thinking of. And like, yeah, all the efforts that they're having to try to like, uh, push back on the the competitive pressure they get from Amazon. Well, they are the number two um, online retailer, so they're not doing terrible. Yeah. But well, but, they used but, to be yeah. the number one retailer. They did be the, yeah. They used to be the number one. But it is interesting though when you think about that. When you take the economics from a higher earning area, and now it can become more global. It it does change things. And it's like Joe said, like. If if every single developer in a small town in in middle U.S. somewhere decides that oh well I can I can work for Netflix or Amazon or Facebook remotely, then then the companies there have to start figuring out well what am I going to do right like how am I going to get talent because what what a lot of companies seem like they want to do is they want to go after young talent coming out of school, but then those people in school, they're going to get that experience and then they're going to leave too. Right. So you, you, you have to figure out a way to keep the churn down. Yeah. It's interesting. So if you pull back for a second, say, okay, who, who is this good for uh, people in low cost of living areas? This is great because now they can, they have much better opportunities than they had before. Well, who is it bad for? Well, the people that were living in these high cost of living areas that used to have to live there to to have high jobs. So people in Silicon Valley, people in New York City, like, the, you know, people in Los Angeles, this is rough for them because now they're competing with people from, you know, poor, uh, not, I don't want to say poor, but like lower cost of living places. And, you know, we're talking U.S. here. So I said, you know, we talked about like Arkansas, Mississippi, whatever. But uh, when you look globally, like there's a huge skew on like salaries. And so if you say like. I don't know, uh, Cambodia salaries compared to San Francisco salaries. Like it's a huge dip there. And so, you know, globalization, we saw what happened with like manufacturing and stuff in the U S like things went all over the place and not necessarily where you might've expected them to go. So, uh, it, it definitely benefits people in lower cost of living, you know, areas with good internet. Right. Yeah. And it hurts local companies too, right? It makes it easier for those companies that can't afford to cast a wide net to do that. And the, you know, the companies in Arkansas, for example, it makes them, you know, they have to compete harder. Okay. So the takeaway for all of this, cause this is, this is software development. This is coding blocks, not a uh, hiring blocks, right? <laughs> but the takeaway for all of this is to get a job, a software developer job, uh, 
move to the the lowest cost area that you can possibly afford that has the best internet and and just work from there and hopefully like maybe you can get to like if you're going to stay in the US you could move to one of the states that don't have an income tax maybe or a state income tax rather uh or you know maybe go somewhere else too yeah go explore the world but that's the you thing, know it's yeah? you know it's really ironic about that Tennessee actually ranks high on everything you just said they um there was actually an article written in one of like entrepreneur or something like that. Um, the Chattanooga area specifically has one of the best internet infrastructures in the country. And, and the cost of living there is not crazy either. And there's no state income tax. So it's like, yeah. if, if you can get out there, you like the mountains and all that, you, the, you got a nice place to live with, uh, with some access to some fast internet. So I was thinking um, like, Arizona or Nevada doesn't doesn't one of those areas don't they not have a, a state income tax? I'm not sure. I know they're hot though. Like that, that's yeah, too, yeah. I like warm. Yeah, That'd be no, good. No, nobody, yeah. no. I'll take the mountains. I don't want to deal with snow. That sounds <laughs> that sounds awful. But that kind of the kind of calculations you're doing there, I think, are the kind of things that developers are doing right you know right now at home. They take a list of things they care about, like healthcare, childcare, education. Closest to family, uh, you know, cost of living, blah, blah, blah. And they kind of do this math. And, you know, I think a lot of people are deciding to, to move and stuff. And we've seen the housing market going crazy too. Like, I don't, you know, I don't know how much of an impact remote work has had on that, but I imagine at least a little. Like anecdotally, we definitely know people who have moved from expensive areas like Seattle's to Tennessee's or New York's to Kansas or, you know, whatever. Yep. Um, yeah. So why do people change jobs anyway? Um, you know, I looked up a couple of reasons that the obvious ones are kind of promotions, um, better conditions, more flexibility, uh, with some interesting ones. I thought it's like, sometimes you just leave problems behind. You don't like the people, you don't like the project or, you know, you're worried about it for some reason. Uh, one question or I had there's is like that the ticket things, that you just can't finish and you're like, well, right. this is the easy way out. <laughs> yeah. Like you wake up in the middle of the night and you're like, oh man, I did something wrong. I'm going to quit. <laughs> <laughs> And then, you know, and, then you, and then your coworkers meet up with you later and they're like, we're still trying to figure that out. Yeah. Right, yeah. Uh, Not my problem. You know, it's funny though. We've talked about this before. One of the things that, and I don't know if this causes people to do it, but you know, as you stay at a place longer and longer, you become the person that has the knowledge of things. And so it seems like you're never working anymore. You're helping other people work, but you ever, you never actually get to work And that. That might be one of those leaving problems behind type thing too, right? Like maybe you want to get back to working and, and not being the, the hub for, for people trying to discover information. Like, I don't know. It's, so it's interesting. It's not listed here, but like, I think I would classify that as you want to be the F and G. Right, what the new person? Yeah, the new guy. I never heard that uh, expression for it. Really? I never. I haven't either. No. Well, I mean, you <laughs> you can like place it. You can think about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You I, figure it out. I don't yeah. have to spell it out for you. But you've never heard of that term ever. Uh. Uh-uh. No. Is that a thing? Like people are like, I just want to be the new the new person. Well, but no, that's what Alan was describing, right? Like you, you, you don't you want, want to have plate. that. You don't want to have all that tribal knowledge of having worked in the environment for so long that you are the person that people come to with like, Hey, how does that work? Or where do I go for this and whatnot? And instead, if you're the new guy, then 
you know, nobody's coming to you with those questions. And instead it's like, Oh, Hey, we're paying you a thousand dollars a day. Here's your first ticket. Right. You're like, sweet. <laughs> I will go ahead and knock that out. Yeah. Very nice. Uh, the other thing I want to mention here is just resume building. Like sometimes, uh, you, you know, if you've got five years, uh, in a certain stack of technology and a certain kind of projects, the difference between five years and six years, six years and seven years, there's just not a lot of difference there. And so it kind of makes sense in the, from just a, like diversification of your resume uh, perspective to change jobs every once in a while. Uh, so you can kind of broaden your experience and also, uh, you know, just like sometimes you can get a more prestigious job. Like for example, if it's, you know, the year 2022 and when did VB.net come out, but yet you're still doing VB.net, this would be a good opportunity to explore other avenues to build that resume, right? Yeah. I mean, all, all kidding aside, I that's not far from if you're in a job where you're working on a single piece of technology and you're not getting exposure to more types of things, right? Like it might be worth looking for another job just so that you can play with newer technology or more technology or get, or get that that broader scope of things, because I mean, you can get stuck at a job where you're just working on wind forms all the time or, or, you know, swing components in Java. And it's like, eh. or you're, you become so uh, like specific to that one thing that now like, you know, you're, you're the hard resource to find. You're the diamond that everybody's finding. So like, you know, you get paid really high bucks to maintain that legacy VB.net app. Yep. And that, that can happen. Does it happen? Yeah, okay. I'm sure it has happened. Yeah. Some, some COBOL app for a banking application right. or something i don't That's know right. although i will say it, it does seem a lot of times like the best way to get a raise is to change jobs it is like, that's sad but that's true yeah. see that a lot of times yep uh and then there's kind of the question but too. that's like, if you wanted but that's if the the quote raise was i mean in, in the compensation models that you mentioned earlier though the it's it's those the stock that's really you know, making up for it. And that's hopefully going to be increasing, you know, the value of the company is increasing and therefore it's going to outpace inflation because any, any raise that the company would give you is probably not even going to match inflation, let alone. So like, you know, yeah, if you're trying to outpace inflation, you know, from, from a quote raise in your like, uh, uh, you know, whatever your pay cycle is, then yeah, you know, you might have to leave unless you count that stock. Well, well, not completely because you also get paid per bands, right? So like most companies have, you know, levels. Well, that's like promotion level- though. Well, well, that's what he was talking about. That's I think. No, he well, said pay you, raise, not promotion. Well, they kind of go hand in hand, though. I guess is what I'm getting yeah, at because like, like uh, let, let's. I mean, let's take simple numbers. Like a level one software developer might make I don't know seventy thousand a year, and they might get fifty thousand in stock. Well, when you go up to level two, it might be a significant jump to ninety thousand a year and a hundred thousand dollars in stock, right? And and I think what Joe's saying, there's a lot of truth to it. Like if you're in a company that doesn't seem to promote within very well, it might behoove you to be like, okay, well, I'm a level one. I know I've gotten enough experience. Now I can go test into a level two somewhere else. Whereas if I just stay at this company, it's going to be two years before they put me up for a level two promotion. Right. So that's promotion though. But I'm saying like just raise alone, period. 
which, you know, there it used to be a thing in the world where like your employer would, you know, recognize like, oh, hey, their inflation is a thing. So like every, uh, oh, you're talking on about some schedule, you would get, you would get some kind of a raise. Yeah. That's a cost of living bump. I think, I think that's well, what I'm I saying guess. though. It's, if it doesn't match inflation, then can you call it a cost of living bump? <laughs> if it's not keeping pace with it, like, yeah, like for guess. example, if, 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 if inflation is 7% and you're in, and you got a 3% bump, that's not a cost that you, you didn't match cost of living. Agreed. No, I guess when, when you said that, Joe, I assumed like trying to get to the next level of money, right? Not, not, not a cost of living type thing. Yeah, I think either way is uh, an interesting discussion. Uh, and I do think like if you're at a smaller company, uh, you're less likely to have things like stock or equity that pans out. And also, uh, you know, if there's only five people in the company, chances are you don't have a multi-tier level of, uh, you know, career path that you can kind of go after and get that next bump and see what it is and have total clarity on how to get there. And so you're, you're kind of at the mercy of the company or uh, you have to negotiate with the company and say like, hey, I'm worth more to you now. You need to pay me more. And that can be really hard to do when you're working there and you don't have any leverage and really easy to do when you're changing jobs and they're trying to draw you away. Man, you just said something that that I want to bring up that is is a business type decision for people who are looking to switch jobs. Um so like you said, smaller companies, right? They they're not gonna have like the stocks like the the Amazons and the Netflixes and those guys or actually I don't know if Netflix does it, but like Facebook and those folks do, right? But what they might do is they might throw things like options at you. If you are looking to go towards a startup and, and they may pay you well for it and they're start and they start talking about equity, look at and listen to if they say that they are a series D funded company or a series C funded company, um, because that'll mean a lot for what your potential stake in the company is because it starts at A and it goes on through Z, right? I guess. I, I don't know if anybody ever gets to it. I hope never got to Z. Right. A Z would be rough. But but what that means is Series A is they got an investment from outside investors to which they basically traded for shares, right? That's a Series A. Um, if, if a company had a series B, then that means they went for two rounds of funding, series C, et cetera. Right. And, and so what that means is as you get further in, in the alphabet, that means the shares are going to be valued less and less typically, unless you got just some rocket ship company doing things. But that means that, you know, the, the thousand shares or options that you got when it was a series A, those aren't going to be worth that much when you're in a series E. Right. So just be aware of that. If you are looking and you're negotiating for a new position or something, be aware and ask, you know, like, have you had any rounds of funding? And if you have, what series are you on? And then that way you can go into it and know that, you know, hey, I, I think I'm going to get compensated really well. Right. Like salary is good and, and the stock options are good. Or if the salary is not high enough and, and they're on a series E or a series, you know, F then you might want to look at it and say, Hey, you know, I, I want, I want more of my base salary uh, to, to make up for this. So it, just be aware of that. Uh, if you're joining a series a, you never know if they're going to dilute with, you know, whatever, like if you're not, yeah, especially private companies, they can kind of do whatever they want with stock. So yeah, it, it's hard and you won't typically know the valuation, but, but every round, the, the, the value of a share goes down, you know, significantly in some cases. 
Yeah. And uh, we're about to take a, a break now to do surveys, and reviews and all that stuff. But um, when we come back, we are going to be talking about like those levels and compensation and how things kind of break down and, and some of the larger companies can kind of uh, think about it. And I know uh, people, you know, working at smaller companies in different parts of the world, like these might seem like, uh, you know, ridiculous numbers, but I think it's important to, to know, you know, what's going on in the industry as a whole. And also just, uh, it's interesting to see how these bigger companies kind of um, break down their levels. So we'll be talking about that soon. This episode is sponsored by Mergeify. Doing manually what should be automatic is frustrating. So stop wasting time managing pull requests. With Mergeify, you can define rules for pull request conditions in YAML with a robust and well-documented DSL. And those rules can be as simple or as complex as you need, like backporting the PR into another branch once the original PR is merged, even prioritize PRs. Then let Mergeify act as soon as your pull request matches your rules. Actions like, let me take a deep breath here, merge, close, comment, request review, uh, backport, copy, and a bunch more. Uh, watch the real-time progress and know which rules were triggered via the Mergeify dashboard. Mergeify works with the CI systems you already use, be it Jenkins, GitHub, GitLab, CircleCI, Travis CI, and more. No need to learn another tool. Mergeify reports everything into GitHub itself. It even works with on-prem GitHub and is SOC 2 compliant. Visit Mergeify.com to learn more. That's M-E-R-G-I-F-Y dot com. Sign up today. Hi there, dear listener. It's been a while, apparently. So um, if you haven't already, please take the time to go and leave us a review. We have a link up there on our website at codingblocks.net slash review. Uh, we have several links up there that, that will take you to places where you can type a few kind words to us, and we greatly appreciate that. Apparently, you can also rate us on Spotify now in the app, so if you wouldn't mind going and clicking on on five stars over there, if, if your heart's feeling it, that'd be amazing. So, uh, again, thank you very much, and, and we look forward to each and every review, dear listeners. So so the, the somber voice is the direction we're going now. Was that good? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It was this new. Good time. We should mention, uh, so uh, over on the Patreon, if you subscribe for a minimum of $50 a month, you actually get uh, the whole ASMR feed <laughs> right there uh, that you can subscribe to. That was a little teaser there from Alan. And uh, yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, Joe took it to an even different direction. Uh, I goosebumps. I'm going to, I'm going to bring it back. I'm going to bring it back here. Wait, Stay hold up, me. hold up. Don't we need to set up the Patreon page with the ASMR? We got to get that done, right? No, no one's, no one's going there. I'm sorry. It, it was good. It wasn't that good. <laughs> Dang it. All right. You got Alan all excited about it for Yeah. A Man, I thought I had a new career path. You know, we were talking about careers tonight. So anyway, all right, go ahead. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm going to bring him back to Earth then, and uh, we'll head into my favorite portion of the show, Survey Says. All right. So uh, let's see. We asked a few episodes back. How much personal time do you take on average each year? And your choices were a week or less. It's awful, but without me, the company won't survive. Or two weeks. It's like I just joined the company. America. All right. Or three weeks. It's a nice. (laughs) Or four weeks. An entire month. This must be what it's like to be European. Or more than four weeks. I wouldn't say I was missing work. (laughs) 
<laughs> All right. So, uh, what episode is this? 180. So, Joe, you are up first. Okay. Uh, four weeks, entire month. Uh, with, um, let's see, divided by five plus two, carry the eight. Divide by and, pi. Uh, you got some pie in there, circle around. Uh, arc tangent, 30%. 30% four weeks, okay. With with the pies and the arc tangents came out to a nice round number. That, that, yeah. that happens a lot. Um, yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing how often that happens. <laughs> a whole number. Yes, a whole. Yeah, that's crazy. All right. There's a bunch I, of them. I truly don't know on this one. I'm going to go with... Three weeks. It's a nice, just because I like that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I like and, the logic there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't go wrong. So I, I'm going to go with a, um, you know, carry the one and twelve and all that, and and I'm going to land with thirty five. Ooh, bold. Five. Now it's oh, interesting. Yes. That was a big yeah. jump, wasn't it? All right. So four you weeks. The derivative. <laughs> yeah. There. There you go. Yep. <laughs> Joe goes with uh, four weeks for thirty uh, percent, and Alan goes with three weeks for thirty-five percent. You know you want to say it. I have it's it right. Nice. I have it's it right. Nice. It's a nice. Yeah. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. You're both wrong. No. Really? Is it two? I hate that. It's four. And more than four. Really? More than four. Thirty-eight wow. percent. Right. More than four. We're doing Dang, it wrong, right. guys. Oh, I'm. I, I missed the Fourier transform. So. <laughs> That's what it was. I, I didn't want to call it out when you were doing your math, but yeah, that, you nailed it. That's what it yeah. was. Yeah, first was outer inner last. <laughs> yeah, but three weeks was number two, and four weeks was number three. So, so you wait. said you said four. Two, three was two, and four was three. Yeah, that's not confusing at all. So you said <laughs> over four was thirty eight percent. What was the uh, three weeks? It's kind of uh, up there with it. Yeah, it, it, it they started to follow. They were there was like a even. It was a pretty even stair stack. You know, it goes to twenty six for the three weeks and twenty okay. for four. Okay, so yeah, all right. All right. So well, hey, people now are you taking know. time. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and if you're looking to change jobs, that's something to talk about. It's something to negotiate because uh, apparently a lot of people are getting it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So for this episode, uh, you know, we're talking about jobs and the great resignation and, and everything. So it only made sense to ask, like, what's the what's most important to you when you're looking for another job? And your choices are it's all about that promotion. I need the title or work life balance is what matters. I need to be able to enjoy my life and my work or dollar dollar bills, y'all. Mo money, mo problems, and I'll do anything to have more problems. Or I need some flexibility in my schedule. Life gets hectic. Or whatever it takes to get away from this company. Or whatever it takes to get into that company. Those are good options. I like those. Yeah, very nice. Thank you, thank you. All right, so... What can I gain from yeah. the great resignation? So um, there used to be a stigma. Tell me if y'all have this. I kind of felt like, uh, well, we'll say 10 years ago, there were remote jobs. Lots of people had them. 
But there was kind of like, at least, I, you know, for me, I kind of felt like if you took a remote job, you knew you were going to get paid a little bit less because mm-hmm. the, company, the opportunities that were available, and just they just kind of paid a little less, but you decided that that was worth it, right? Yep. That wasn't just me, right? Nope. Okay. Uh, I wasn't able to find any good stats on that to back that up uh, nowadays, but I always kind of had that perception, and I don't know if it's true at all anymore. Um. So uh, basically, I think I entered this poorly, but basically that just here is kind of think about what you can gain from uh, changing jobs. And uh, so wait, were you saying were you saying that like the salaries like you're able to get a better salary now as a remote than what you previously were able to get? It feels that way to me, but I don't know if that's true or not. Okay, I feel like it's kind of evened out. I mean, uh, okay, because I guess I was thinking like. For the software industry, though, did that really like it might have opened up more work from home opportunities for other industries, right? Yep. Although, I, you know, I don't. Although I don't know how permanent those became. I, I think I'm with Joe, though. It seems like you know, like you said, ten years ago, if you wanted a remote gig, they weren't going to pay you as much, right? Because they're like. Well, you're not having to drive into an office. You're not, like they they sort of had these excuses, right? And and I think that's gone away. I think I think companies now have almost realized that software developers were were kind of idiots because if we work at home for whatever reason, we won't pull the plug a lot of times, right? Like you'll get on say, the you work a lot yeah. harder. Yeah, you work more hours. And I think companies have realized that. And so instead of trying to treat it like they're doing you a favor, they kind of realize that they're getting a decent amount in return. Now, not every developer is the same, but it does seem that way, right? It seems like you'll see people on more. They'll be replying to things late at night. That like It's just there's a whole lot more that comes with it now. But here's the, here's the problem, though, with with remote work, though, right? Because like when you go into an office, right? Like you can, you can develop a rapport with people and everything. And there's that face to face and like, at, you know, in the office, my coworkers laugh at my jokes in person, right? But never online, never. And when I ask them why they say my jokes weren't remotely funny. <laughs> that was a great, that was a great setup. I liked it. Well done. Well done. <laughs> Thank you, Derek. Yeah. Oh, but yeah, I, I honestly, I think that I have, I've noticed that the salaries have gone up because now it seems to be more about hiring talent versus trying to make somebody feel like they're getting something special for being not in an office. Right. Yeah. And so I did a quick Google to see, and uh, I saw lots of articles with headlines like remote jobs don't have to pay uh, less. And uh, basically every article I kind of clicked into just a quick anecdotal survey. All of them were saying that uh, the pay is basically the same. And sometimes they had to kind of cheat a little bit to get there. So they'd say, well, remote jobs pay a little bit less, but you're not spending gas. You're not, you know, so they kind of fudge things up a little bit. But uh, overall, it's pretty close. And so it seems like the general consensus is that it's about the same. Yeah. So, so interesting. So you, you marked off this thing, but you haven't actually said anything about it yet. Are you Are you going to wait on it? Yeah, I got it. I did things in poor order. I okay. did bad the notes. All right. We, <laughs> I did want to mention uh, one other thing before we got into the next section, uh, which is basically uh, the term TC, which is a, 
probably a term a lot of people aren't used to unless they're looking at a, a lot of sites, but you'll see Terms a lot of times. Terms and conditions. There's a video PC. game for it. And, oh. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> there is a video game for it. Uh, yeah, so total compensation is what I'm talking about. And oh. you'll see this on a lot of sites like um, blind.com or levels.fy or just a lot of job sites where they'll, people will refer to TC. What they mean by that is total compensation. And what it means is you'll look at a job and it will have a salary of 150 but a total compensation of 350 And what that means is that there's 200000 more dollars that are coming in, usually in some sort of stocks, whether it's uh, restricted stock units or some sort of options or, you know, some other stuff. But what stinks about that is that that's presented as one number. And a lot of times uh, that's kind of like the maxed out version. Like this is what you're going to get hired at. But the way restricted stock units in particular work and sometimes options is that it gets divvied up. And so the first year you get 5%, the second year you get 15%. And then from there on you get more. And so what it means is your total compensation on paper is 350, but that first year it's 200 and the second year it's 250 and that third year it's 350. And from there on, assuming the stock stay the same, which yeah, right. Well, well, being more realistic, year one, you're closer to what your salary is, right? Yeah. Year one in a lot of companies, in a lot of these ones that do this, this particular pay method, you're getting your salary year one, year two, you stay around, you're going to start getting a taste of it. But most of these companies do like a four year vesting period, right? Almost all of them do. And so your 350, that's what you're going to see year four, right? Um, and, and here's, here's the thing. And Joe touched on it a little bit is you would make three fifty, assuming that the stock price didn't fluctuate. Right. And, and this is where things can get really crazy in, in good and bad ways for you. If, if you were in year four, when the pandemic hit, then what you were thinking you were going to get three fifty that year might've dropped down to two fifty. Because stocks took a nosedive for a decent portion of like a quarter, I believe, in 2020, right? Um, but if you were around in 2021 and you had these things vesting, they could have gone up 40, 50% from where they were previously. So when you thought you were going to get 350, you might have actually walked away with 420 um, at the end of the year. So this is where getting paid in our shoes. It's it's like a double edged sword. Like it can be truly amazing, or or it could be ugly. But that's why you don't bank on it, right? Like you want to try and get the the base salary that you'll be happy with, and then the RSUs are kind of the icing the icing on the cake. But like Joe said, you're not getting that that total compensation number till you're into your fourth year. It's also totally misleading though <clears throat> that, and this is why like that comment that you just made about get the base salary that you're happy with because depending on your type of personality, you might, what was your base salary in your example? Uh, let's say one fifty. I think one fifty. So, you know, you, you might get, uh, your, how to say this. It might as well be as, as if your compensation is one fifty even through year four, if you are never selling those stocks, right? Like if you, if you're not the type of person, like if you're, if you're, going to save it. And you know what I'm saying? Like if it's just part of like, mm-hmm. Oh, you know, I'll save it. And when I really need it, you know, I'm, I'm not going to use it for living expenses. Then 
you know, it, then it's not helping you out in like your, your day to day expenses. Does that make sense? But like, I think that's a personal choice though. Right? It, like it totally is. It totally is. That's why because, I said it's the type of person that you are. So that's why I like that, you know, you want the base salary. You might want that base salary to be something that you're happy with. If you're the type of person that knows that like, well, any stocks that I'm given, I'm either going to like hold on to, or I might just convert it into a different stock or a different fund or something like that. But I'm never, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to use it for living expenses. But, but the good thing on top of that though, right. Just to, to keep in mind for anybody that doesn't know how this works, right? Like literally, um, I, we're kind of glossing over it, I think a little. So you get your salary, right? You get your paychecks. Um, when we talk about these stocks, these, these RSUs that they're restrict, restricted stock units. Basically what it means is that the company says, Hey, I'm going to give you 500 stocks, right? Um, but you can't have them today. You're going to get them in a year, your first amount you're going to get in a year, right? And you're going to get a chunk of them. And that's awesome. So, so maybe at the end of a year, you get a hundred of those stocks and they just give it to you right then. And to what outlaw was saying, it's up to you. Do you want to sell them? Do you want to keep them? You, you can, you can keep those stocks. Um, and whatever the company it is that you were working for, you could just keep it in those stocks. If you wanted, you could sell them immediately and, Go spend it. Go buy you a car, right? Like whatever. Or you could turn around and put it into another investment. But the interesting thing is, and I think most of the companies do it this way. Um, Jay Z, I think you've been with more of the bigger ones. Um, so you kind of know how it works a little bit better. But I want to say, like when they give you your RSUs, when they issue you your grant, like sums vested, they automatically take out enough in taxes to cover that thing. So it's actually treated as active income, right? So let's say that you were going to get $15,000 worth of stocks. Well, they're going to, they're going to automatically sell 5,000 of that to cover your taxes, right? So you're going to be walking away with $10,000 and you can either keep it in the stock or you can sell it. Right. And that's what outlaw saying is it, it depends on the type of person. Like, you know, maybe you just want to keep it as an investment, right? Like it's like the savings account that you didn't even, you try not to think about. Or other people are like, you know, I've been wanting a pool in my house and this is a good time to get it. So, you know, you can do what you want with it. I've been wanting a Lamborghini in my garage. So, (laughs) uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So I just want to kind of call that out. And for anyone, uh, you know, there's many, many years. So I like, I would have just not believed the kind of numbers that we're talking about. Um, you know, and so for large portions of the world, these numbers are totally, uh, absurd that we're about to be talking about and that we've given just as an example so far, you know, talking about grads coming out of school, like 250,000, it still seems totally absurd to me. But, uh, I think it's really important to kind of to know that this stuff is out there because. If this matters to you, if you care about your compensation, if you care about, you know, if, if you want to make more money or you want to know what's, what's out there, uh, then it's important to look at this stuff and know. And if you are criminally underpaid or you think you can, you know, get, do better, like now is the time to do it because a lot of people are changing jobs and it's never been easier to try and get some of these jobs. So uh, we're going to talk about, uh, basically the, the top paying companies in our industry. And it's mostly tech companies, um, but there's a, a website, uh, levels.fyi, that uh, we're going to be looking at here for a little bit and uh, just talking about kind of compensation across some of these these bigger companies. And as far as I can tell, the numbers track. I've never heard anyone say, I work at this company and these are way off. So, you know, I, I believe they're pretty reputable. I don't know if y'all have ever heard anything otherwise, but I don't know. I mean, it tracks pretty well with my experience. 
Yeah, same. I mean, I, obviously, we don't know all the numbers out there, but they they seem to be pretty decent ballparked um, from from people we know from our own exper- experiences and everything else. So, um, yep. so when we start talking about these numbers, be aware, like some of these might be shocking, but they're legit after you've been there for three to four years. Right. So sometimes some of them, some of them aren't even that long. Right. So, yeah. 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 So uh, I, I just clicked the first link here that we got in the notes, uh, which is takes you to levels at FY and they've got a leaderboard that shows you uh, across the normalized levels. And what that means is basically they tried to t- take these companies and they kind of kind of mapped the different um, hiring titles and stuff so that they kind of roughly align with like uh, similar type levels. And they mapped it into uh, five levels. So entry level, software engineer, senior engineer, staff engineer, and principal engineer. And then they've got like a leaderboard um, for each of those five uh, across all the companies that they, they've got in their database. And so that first level, entry level, uh, now here's the, here's the bad part. I'm sure you guys are seeing this right now. You have to sign up for the website in order to see the full list of companies. Yeah, I was going to say, and, I only see three. Yeah, and you can't sign up for the website right now. You have to join a wait list. So I don't know what those, those past the first three, but luckily we can see uh, the top three. <laughs> so... Guess that's what we're focusing on. <clears throat> that's right. But for entry level, we are seeing uh, number one Instacart at two hundred fifty thousand total compensation, and they, the way they've got that broken is a base salary of one hundred forty thousand, a hundred and ten k in stock, and then no bonus. Now we're not going to break down you know everyone we talk about like that, but uh, number two, two sigma. I don't even know who that is, but they're two forty and boxes two thirty six. So Wait, which that, one did you click on? What what level? Uh, are the you? first one. Uh, oh, sorry, the first link. It's um, no, no. I mean, like, which level did you entry oh, level? You said entry oh, level. Entry. Okay, entry. Yep. Sorry, gotcha. Okay, and so you can see, like, you know, it's not like it fell off a cliff after Instacart, and you know, we we mentioned um, Netflix being around two forty something. So these numbers aren't uh, you know totally. Uh, you can see there's kind of, they're kind of clumped together here. And so while this number still seems absurdly high to me, they're within range of each other. Uh, so, you know, I, I would assume as a college graduate, uh, and I assume you would have to be a college graduate to, to apply for an entry-level position at Instacart, but maybe not. Maybe they take experience into, uh, into account here. But uh, I imagine it's competitive, but, woo, that is a good amount of money to be making, you know, starting your career. And there's a lot of people who would be happy with like, you know, a fifth of that maybe. I went ahead I mean, and clicked ahead, got to principal engineer and you know what? <laughs> I am sold. Yeah, I know. Right? <laughs> well, we'll talk about that too. We got something about that. So um, they also do say this, this is zero to two years of experience. So 250,000, not bad total compensation uh, software engineer. This is kind of like the um, middle of the road software engineer. Uh, we've got crews at number one. 405,000 base salary of 200 and uh, they've got stock of 125 and bonus is 75 bonuses that we talked about a lot, but a lot of times companies will have uh, bonus targets and uh, maybe that bonus is, you know, optional based on some metrics. They said, you know, aside at the beginning of the year or whatever. So maybe you'll get it. Maybe you don't. It's best not to count on that, uh, but sometimes it's pretty great and uh, definitely not something you would. 
oh cruise we know we know somebody that works for cruise okay. uh they're like self-driving uh cars company oh okay i just assumed it was a made-up company name based on oh they, i finally mm-hmm. found it get cruise.com yeah they actually um so the the they have speakers that do stuff at uh, like kubernetes conventions and stuff too so like they, they have some pretty cool talks so this this is a case like looking at Cruise right on this this particular one two hundred and five in the base salary one hundred and twenty five in stock and then seventy five in bonus like that's actually a pretty nice split if you if you were looking for a company to to find out where you have good potential like two hundred and five ain't a bad salary right and then and then one hundred and twenty five in stock stock fluctuates so that could go up. And then a $75,000 bonus to kick it. That's a, I mean, that's not a terrible living right there. So, you know, and that's where some companies you'll see are lighter on salary, really heavy on stock, and then maybe don't even have a bonus. Right. So, you know, you got to look at these things and say, Hey, what's, what's important to me. So it's, it's interesting and it's crazy what these numbers can get to. And this one, again, this was a, a software engineer too. This is basically somebody that's, you know, experienced. Um, you're no longer a junior level developer. You're probably not quite a lead, but you're, you're strong. So these, these are good salaries here. It does seem like though, this is a, an on-prem job. The, the people like, I know are in the area. Really? Cause I, I, at least with the way levels.fyi shows it, if I go to look at like, overview or benefits, right? I mean, one thing like just levels FYI, like this is pretty cool too, because like it'll show you all the benefits and then they quantify the benefits Mm, into a dollar amount. So, but the reason why I was, I was thinking that this must be an on-prem is like, you look at all the benefits that they list in here. They never talk about uh, working from home, but they do talk about like relocation bonus and transportation allowance and company shuttles and, like everything is kind of catered towards like, Hey, you're going to be here. So we're going to give you free lunch and free snacks and drinks. And oh, on site gym. You know what else they do? That's nice. Um, is they show you the vesting schedule. Yeah. So where we were talking about, you know, some companies, you're not going to see that till year four. You can actually see when you're going to get these things. So that's pretty nice. And the people we know are, are on premise and they're in like Silicon Valley, maybe California. Uh, yes. And it kind of makes sense. Like if they're doing you know, autonomous driving vehicles, like a lot of the work is probably done near the vehicles. Yeah. Well, then you would think Detroit, right? Maybe. But Detroit. well, where I was going with that though is, you know, you're talking about that 205 and like, you know, fawning over the 205,000. But if you have to live in San Francisco area, yeah, that's a really good point. That's where that's where like that that base sounds great, but if they aren't a remote work company, then yeah, San Fran, that's that's totally. your cost of living right there, right? Yeah, totally. And that's yeah, that's something good I should have called out too. Absolutely. And, and I think uh, all the companies that we talked about before, the entry level ones, I think those are all uh, Silicon Valley. And here too, that number two and number three are Databricks and Stripe. I believe both of those are Bay Area. But does that, do you know if they have to be on site for those? They might be. I don't know. I don't know about that. I know Stripe is payment processing and Databricks is like, uh, aren't they like Spark hosting? It's pretty interesting. Um, yeah, Databricks is, is like big, big data stuff. Yeah, that's cool. And this is for two to five years of experience, two to five plus. So that's pretty nice. 
All right. So if we go to senior engineer, that's like typically uh, five plus years. Uh, now uh, we're starting to see some, uh, we, this is basically Netflix shows up here. So we've got Netflix number one at 515. And they just show straight up 515 here. They don't show stock. They don't show bonus. I don't know what the deal is with that. That's what I saw on another site. They don't really give you any art, no stocks, no bonus. Yeah, it's it's salary. You make the money. Yeah. So that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, and there are no RSUs at uh, at Netflix. Just everyone, you get five percent each year of your salary and fleeced in free stock. Blah. Uh, and uh, sorry, and, <laughs> let me start over. Every year, everyone at Netflix gets five percent of your annual salary and free stock options which are offered at 40% of their current value vesting every month. So every month you can buy at a discounted rate stock. Well, you don't have oh, to. That's killer. Yeah, it's pretty nice. You can use up to 100% of your salary for d- buying these stock options too. I mean, dude, if you can buy them at a 40% or <laughs> at a 60% discount. Yeah, that's like, good. But there's probably a limit on when you can sell them. Like when you can sell. With, uh, yeah, so it might be like, yeah, sure, you can buy all you want up to 100% salary, but you can't sell them for six months or a year. Or a year. Or who knows? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's another thing to keep in mind. A lot of times these employee stock purchase pro- programs, they have stipulations on when you can sell those things. Yeah, that's interesting though. Uh, Stripe, number two here, a 41. Uh, LinkedIn, number three. Now, LinkedIn's owned by Microsoft, so it's interesting that they've got them separate here. Uh, so Microsoft's made up a whole lot of companies, but yeah, LinkedIn is way up here. Yeah, 480 total compensation for the yeah. senior engineer. I do feel like most people can kind of, kind of intuit. If we say like, hey, entry level, you know, junior developer, developer, senior, I feel like those are kind of understandable right, in well, terms of position responsibilities. Well, what we've seen, um, I think in our careers and, and correct me, like what you guys think, like senior engineer to get to that level, you're usually, you're one of the top developers in that area, right? Like, um, not the entire group's going to be that there's going to be a handful of you that are senior developers. And that's kind of where it's at. Um, software engineers are going to make up most of the group, um, the level twos. And then, and then this next one that we're talking about staff engineer, you typically have one of those, right? Maybe. Uh, so I've got an interesting definition, but I do want to say first, like I've kind of, I don't know if this is, you know, if y'all agree with me or not, but I kind of feel like the understanding is that in most companies, you kind of progress up this ladder from entry level to software engineer and eventually senior engineer. If you just stay there long enough, you're going to end up being senior engineer. The next two positions we're going to talk about staff engineer and principal engineer. Those are kind of optional levels up. You know, those are, there's people that will spend their entire, you know, latter half of their career in senior engineer level three, basically never go to those other two. And that's totally fine. Uh, because staff engineer and principal engineer really take a kind of a divergence on responsibilities. Yeah. So I, I'll, I'll tell you. That. Yeah, I agree with that. Your senior, your senior engineers are still typically contributors on, on software development. And I think this is where, I think this is where you're sort of draw drawing the line, right? But on yep. what, what the next level is. But I, I do take issue though with like the way you said though, because like just because you stay with the company for a period of time doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to become a senior engineer. You could definitely be uh, an entry level developer for 10 years, yeah, right? Could, yeah. Just because you, just because you've been there for 10 years doesn't mean you have 10 years of experience, right? Yeah, totally. But I just think you know, the general kind of sense of it is like, if you stay somewhere, you should eventually progress from junior to mid to senior. Yes. Doesn't have to be. Right. 
But if, if, if you're somebody if you've been somewhere actually, 10 years and you're yeah. still a junior and they're hiring seniors and they've been working for five, like you should get a new job or you're just not a go getter. Right. And I mean, and that might be what it is. You just might not be somebody that excels at it. So, yeah. or uh, yeah, something else uh, going on there. Uh, so senior engineer, the definition I've got here is that senior developers may specialize in a specific area, oversee projects and manage junior developers. But uh, the next level up that we've got here, they call staff engineer. They say is a staff engineer is a senior individual contributor role, meaning you don't have direct reports uh, in software engineering. And there is no one kind of software engineer, but uh, usually encompasses things like tech leads or architects or solvers, which I've never heard before, or right hands. And I didn't say anything saying there's only be one of them, but it, it's basically like a kind of a level up from senior engineer. Where are you getting the definitions from? Uh, this one came from staffeng.com slash FAQ. Yeah, I, I want to say was, I yeah, right. the staff engineer usually does seem to be uh, another roll up, right? Like they're not typically writing a lot of the code anymore. They're usually the ones helping plan out projects, like how you're going to do things, architect things. Like you said, the right hand person or whatever. Um, they're usually more involved in, and this is crazy, but creating design docs and, and getting people on the same page and agreeing to technology specs and all that. Like it's, it's not quite the same as the senior engineer who is more involved in actually getting the code done. Yep. And then the, the last level that they've got things broken out by here, the principal engineer, uh, I looked up, I didn't say the link for some reason, but the, the definition I have is basically a highly experienced engineer who oversees a variety of projects from start to finish. So you can kind of see like that could be a senior, that could be a staff. It's the, the definitions are pretty squarely. And as far as I can tell, there's not like a hard, you know, like you, you see even staff engineer, like it didn't relate to staff in any way. You didn't have direct reports. Uh, principal engineer, same way. Like, what are you principaling? But we didn't even talk about the salaries at these positions, right? No, like, not yet. Get, yeah, we yeah when it. you get to the staff, like, it's – you can do all right. Yeah. So, let's, let's look at staff then. Uh, so, number one, we got Splunk here. Total compensation of 776000 Per year. Per year. Per year. Yeah. For individual contributor software role. Per That's year. 258 uh, in salary. 450k in stock and then 68 68k in bonuses yeah so yeah you imagine if that stock just goes up a little bit i mean you're you're making a million dollars a year you know that's pretty nice so i guess if it just talk doubles uh databricks number two 763 uh instacart 710 instacart who knew right and and all of these all of these here's the here's the interesting thing is none of these have crazy high base salaries. They are basically paying you with stock. Yeah. Right. So it, the Splunk was 258, Data, Databricks was 220, and Instacart was 260. So you're not making crazy amounts over what the senior engineer was, right? Your, your salary is about the same, but your stocks, they go up almost 100%. So it, that's where you can really start making a killing with this stuff. And, you know, that that's where like what outlaw was saying, where you just act like you don't even have it. And then all of a sudden you're a millionaire in a few years and you're good. Right. Yeah. So like two years. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, this is the staff engineer category, but the Splunk title 
for this category is senior principal software engineer. That's crazy. So you can see the titles are really squirrely. And so and we'll see, we'll talk about this here in a minute, uh, the map, the levels like map between companies. And you'll see that like, some companies don't even have staff. Some the staff is kind of lower in the rankings than you might have expected. And it's all over the place. And the terms are basically meaningless. Yeah. All right. Here's the big one. Oh, there's got to be like a Rosetta Stone out there somewhere. They're like <laughs> maps, you know, one company's senior engineer to the other company. And, you know, well, that's, that's what this does. This levels dot yeah. FYI on the, on the main page. Um, oh, no, no, no. But I'm just saying like, uh, well, well you're just, saying on the main page. Like yeah. We'll the, see the next link we got. was going to do exactly what you want to see. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So let's get through for this first and then we'll see. Yeah. Cause we need to know what this principal engineer is going to make. Here. Yeah. And I'll tell you, they do have a, a stipulation on this one that says, hey, this is typically 15 plus years of experience. And this level is representative of a very small percentage of people. Not, not a lot of people are uh, talking about their salaries at this level. And so they're saying this data is the least reliable of any of the numbers we've talked about. So be warned. When I when I get to be 36 years old and I know that I could <laughs> qualify for this, I'm yeah. be so excited. Yeah, very exciting. I, uh, I, number one. <laughs> I don't know. It's funny. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> So that'd be not, yeah, that'd be very nice. Uh, number one is Roblox, actually the game company. Uh, the TD1 is the title. And they've got uh, a total compensation of 1.2 million. I'm not even going to bother with the tens of thousands. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they don't matter at that point, right? But yeah. but why don't you tell us what their uh, base is here? $420,000 base salary. How many is How much is that per day? <laughs> <laughs> more than a thousand yeah definitely what's yeah. yeah i can't take I it serious whole, though it's 420 that that's the number like that's, that's the, yeah that's that the drug number right. yep. and then yeah yeah so uh so if you just take 1.2 million and divide by the number of days in a year which is around 356 uh yeah you're making six really is, is that, that is that what you said yeah <laughs> he did say around in fairness <laughs> Yeah, how many days are there? It's roughly. <laughs> he, he didn't say roughly. He just said it's around it. And he's not oh, wrong. 365. I always Alan, do that. Stop laughing at him. He's not wrong. He was. It is around it. Oh, my God. It's in the neighborhood. It's close. Yeah, that's pretty good. It's closer than 30. It doesn't even change the number that much when you when I do oh. when I fix it. So, so apparently weird. there are 365 <laughs> days in most years. Uh, you know, sometimes. <laughs> Look, I grew up in Florida. You know, things are a little different here. <laughs> oh, man. I grew up in Florida. <laughs> all right. All right. I'm sorry. Go ahead. So what? what is... If I we divide this by... You. Yeah, if, yeah, if you divide, divide this by the number of days in most years... Uh, you wake up and even on a Sunday, you're making $3,300 a day. Yeah, that, that's not terrible. It's not working days. That's yeah. What do we say for working day. days? It was 50 times five, roughly. 250. Yeah, two, yeah. 250. 250. <laughs> that reminds me. <laughs> I got a hint to regularly count her own eggs. She's a real mathematician. Nice. Very nice. <laughs> Yeah, so almost $5,000 uh, every time you show up at work if you only had two weeks vacation. But hopefully you got more than two weeks vacation right. if you're making that much money. Yeah, yeah $5,000 for showing up to work. That's not terrible. That's crazy. Uh, number thank, two is Facebook. I want to thank Dave for that real quick. Nice. Nice. Dave. God. All right. All right. Uh, Facebook is uh, $900,000. Uh, Google uh, is 800000 showing up here. 
So yeah, some pretty pretty healthy numbers. Now, I did want to say one thing, more thing before we go actually compare the levels across companies. I feel like, and I have no way to back this up, but I feel like it's really hard to interview in past senior engineer. So, you know, we said staff engineer and principal engineers, these salaries are like mind boggling. Go look at Microsoft or Roblox or Facebook or Google and check out their job openings page and see how many staff engineer and principal engineer openings you see. It's basically none. Yeah, there's not many. And I can tell you from knowing people that interview for those positions, like interview other people, man, it's, it's hard enough to get in some of these fan companies at a senior level. Mm -hmm. Like you got to know your stuff. If you're going in for that next level, you are getting grilled by, by lots of people in lots of different positions that have tons of experience. Like they don't play around. And I feel like even then, like it's not stuff you're going to see on the jobs page. These aren't things that you can just submit your resume to blind. This is like when Microsoft, remember when Microsoft hired, um, I forget his name, the guy who wrote Python. Um, oh, yeah. I, they also took the guy who did Kubernetes, the, the main guy who did uh, Kubernetes. Yeah, and the guy who did uh, Mono and stuff, Michael Nicasio, whatever. Yeah, I was, um, I was thinking of the example of the guy that was literally one of the founders of the internet that works for Google. Yeah. Yeah, and so... The, uh, We're good with Guido. names, though. Yeah, right. Guido yeah, Van Rossum was a Python. So I feel like, you know... Guido probably didn't search the job board at Microsoft and apply for a principal job. Microsoft said, look, we really want you to work on a project. We know you. We've talked to you before. We got to, got to, we'll bring you in as a principal. They were like, and that's how we you got get this in. Python 2.8 project that we want to upgrade yeah. to Python 3. Right, right. Right. He's like, I'm not doing that. And they're like, let's show you our compensation sheet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay. I would agree with you. I think that this is probably more, hey, we want you. Right. Like you didn't go, you didn't go searching for this job. They said, Hey, will you take this if we give it to you? Yeah. So sometimes uh, people will say, especially like if they get their first job at a kind of a thing, jump one of these larger companies, right. Is they'll say, you know what? I got an idea. I'm going to work here for two or three years and I'm going to jump to another similar company. I'm going to get a big pay bump and then two or three, four more years. I'm going to do it again and I'm going to do it again and I'm going to do it again. Sounds great on paper, but when you see, there's only really three levels you can hire in at. You're not going to be able to pull that trick more than three times. Right. You might be able to jump up to that third level pretty well, quickly doing it. Yeah, but I think where the difference might be, though. Uh, I, okay, so I wouldn't say like you're going to be able to pull that trick three times because then that sounds like so, yes, yeah. like such a depressive kind of way, you know, the despair <laughs> kind of view of it, right? Like, you know, uh, the, the demotivator posters, you know, like. <laughs> You're not going to be able to do that many times, so make it count, right? Uh, because, you know, going back to the inflation comment, right? Like, you know, if you do go, if you stayed at a place for four years uh, and and then you do go out for another job, then, you know, your base might get jumped up and you might get, you know, a similar kind of compensation on uh, stocks and whatnot. Although, based on that vesting schedule, again, though... Right you might end up taking a hit there in the short term. So you have to kind of like weigh the weigh it to you. And that's why it kind of, in all honesty, it goes back to that survey, right? Like that for this episode, there's so many more things that, that matter than just pay alone. uh, That might be reason for you to want to find 
uh, you know, a new a new job. Yeah, and we also said, said about how creppy surveys are, and guess where right. all these salaries came. Yeah, these are all surveys. Outlaw just said he doesn't want that one point two mil though. That's why I heard it. <laughs> and pretty much all. I don't these think you heard were, that. <laughs> yeah. You know, Facebook we know is, is getting uh, getting now recently into uh, you know remote hiring, but a lot of these work companies are also based in like the one of the most expensive areas in the world. Right. So that's definitely got an impact on it. Well, you know, like you said, you're totally right. I'm, I'm kind of saying a general rule that it's it's hard to to kind of keep up that that jumping trick. You can't, you know, probably you probably won't be able to do it indefinitely. And a big part of that is that, like you said, the vesting schedule. And so, uh, you know, the, it's just something to kind of keep in mind. Like it, it at first, like it may seem like this kind of infinite ladder, but it's uh, it's not because it's harder to interview into these staff and principal engineer positions. At some point, it makes sense to kind of settle in a little bit and, you know, put in your time if you want to, if you truly want to even go to the top. And maybe you, maybe you don't. Maybe there's things that matter to you, like work life balance. They'll tell you, staff engineers, principal engineers, uh, you're probably not, uh, sitting on your laurels if you're making yeah. $5,000 every time you show up to work. No. Uh, yeah, you're providing some serious value to that company. And this is not a free lunch at all. And you're probably, when you get up into those levels, you're probably presenting, um, at conferences. You're probably also presenting internally. Like it's, it's a, it's a whole different set of optics. But one thing I will say, like we've been talking about jumping for the purposes of, of salary. And I know we mentioned earlier that there's other reasons, right? Like work, work life balance and all that. But if your goal is to get up to one of these principal type things, one of the reasons you might jump is to get exposure to all kinds of different technologies, right? To, to get exposure to architecture and system setup and all that kind of stuff, because you may not get that in one company, right? Um, you may not get that in a small company. You might not even, if you're working in a large company in, in a subsection of one of their services, you may not get it. So, you know, it, it might be a good way to diversify what you're trying to learn for your career path. And I, I would think like, you know, if you're one of these, uh, you know, principal engineers that are making a million dollars, I would think a lot of your job is like you said, talking in conferences. Yeah, sure. But not just, not just conferences. You're probably talking to customers. You're probably going into boardrooms of very large companies who spend millions and millions of dollars with your company and you're talking with their engineers. You're convincing them to buy stuff. You're almost part of the, like, the sales arm. Like you're not sitting down and closing tickets for a million dollars a year. You know, right. no. it's a whole different role. And may, maybe you don't want that. Maybe you do. Pretty nice salary, but I will say, uh, no matter what, principal engineer, just like I said, uh, you're going to make some trade offs in your work life balance and kind of everything else. Like, this is going to shape your life, just kind of, kind of being like a C level of a company, like a CEO, uh, you know, so it, like Steve Jobs, Sachin Nadella, any, anyone, they've made significant sacrifices in their life for their career, and you know, that's part of the that's part of it, kind of stinks. So, hey, on to those levels. So if you check out that second link, Outlaw. Okay, second link. Yep. So here is a spot where you can pick uh, up to three companies and compare their levels across Ooh. the board. So I've got it preset to Google, Facebook, and Microsoft. And you can see, like, Microsoft in particular has a bunch of different levels. It ranges uh, from 59 to 80. So if there only there's some way to figure out you know the difference between 59 and 80 we could figure out uh what that is oh well it's, you can't because there's numbers that don't exist like there's nothing between 70 and 80 it just goes from 70 to 80 so, so that's funny you can actually choose five five oh five nice okay 
Yeah. So like I've got Apple, Amazon, Google, Facebook, and Microsoft. And I didn't see five. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. So like Amazon SDE two, that's kind of like the senior level. Um, yeah. Well, I, they have senior SDE as a level six or a, a, an SDE three, but that's where it kind of levels off with like Facebook fives. Um, Apple ICT four somewhere straddling the line there. And Netflix and is the weird one. Say what? Netflix has two categories on here. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. The the entry and everybody else. Yep. And so you can say, I'm just going to use them. I'll, I'll do them in Apple just to kind of compare. So uh, Netflix has new grad software engineer and senior software engineer. Apple has IC two, which is junior ICT three software ict4 ict5 ict6 and they've got some special categories at the top so if you're a new new grad software engineer at netflix you're roughly equivalent to uh you know ict2 and maybe a little bit ict3 there's some overlap it doesn't map perfectly right and then everything else is mapped to senior software engineer so if you were a new grad software engineer at netflix i would tell you you'd want to go to apple and you would want to interview as ict3 Otherwise, it's going to be a pretty big jump, and good luck. Uh, the ones that have a lot more categories, like you know, Microsoft, we said it's got about like ten different categories here. You can see that uh, even just comparing Apple, like you know, if you're a sixty at Microsoft, then that could be a uh, you know, it's clearly actually uh, I just closed a crap. Uh, a sixty is it straddles the line between ICT two and ICT three. But if you're at ICT three at Apple and you want to go to Microsoft, well, you might try to interview as a sixty or a sixty one or a sixty two or a sixty three. Those are all the ones that are kind of close to you. So this gives you a basis for comparing, and you can click on any of these levels and see the salary ranges, total compensation, and breakdown. So you can say, hey, at ICT three at Apple, you're looking at a total compensation of two thirteen. If I go over here and look at uh, Microsoft at uh, 61, it's right about in the middle, we're looking at 182. So for a comparable experience level, Microsoft pays less than uh, Apple. And we can bump it up a level in 205, and it's still less than Apple. So that kind of gives you a sense right there. You know, um, This is not an in-depth analysis, but just based on clicking around a little bit, it looks to me like Apple pays more than Microsoft. Interesting, but those are also in different areas. So again, going back yeah. to, you know, totally. if, if the survey was from people who lived in the Bay area that work for Apple in Cupertino, then yeah, they might have a higher salary or total compensation package because of their area versus uh Redmond, you know, might have a, lower cost of living. And so therefore you don't need as much. I don't know. Yep. And th- this is where it's, it's difficult to no pun intended to compare apples to apples or, you know, <laughs> here, right. Apples to Netflixes or yeah. 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 But it, but you were looking for that Rosetta stone and this is about as close as you'll get to it. Right. Like this whole, mm-hmm. this yeah. mapping horizontally going across the bands and it's nice. It, I, what Joe just said a second ago is the thing that is really good about it is if you are somewhere and you're looking to take a leap, you can kind of look and see where you kind of should land at another company, right? Like if you are an SDE2 
at Amazon, then you're probably somewhere in an L5, an ICB5, an E5, you know, whatever, depending on the company, you could sort of see visually where you should be if you're trying to take a, a jump, right? Yeah, and so I can say too, like, um, let's say uh, I've only worked at small companies, but I'm, I really want to try and work at uh, Microsoft. I've got five years of experience. So I can say, okay, for five years of experience, it doesn't really break that down very easily, but you know, just based on kind of roughly what we said about like one, twos, and threes for software engineers, that would put you as like SD2 level. So let's say you're looking at a total estimate of about ballpark 182,000 total compensation. And Microsoft is one of those companies that's really opening up to remote work. And so that's might be something you can go after. And hey, maybe you'll get a lot more, maybe less, you know, but either way, not too shabby. I mean, you know, one thing I would say about this particular chart here that would probably be helpful for most people is Amazon sort of is almost like the the industry standard for like levels of of software developers. And so if you want to kind of get an idea of where you should be, if you put Amazon against next next to each one of these, like if you're an SDE1, you're sort of junior-ish. Um, if you're an SDE2, you're experienced and, and you can do things pretty well. You can sort of see where where that lands in the bands here. Yep. Yeah, they've got pretty clearly defined there. It's nice. So anyway, just kind of a cool website to to look at. Yeah, totally. Um, Not all depressing. <laughs> some of them, like if you go through and you start adding in other companies, I definitely found some that I was like, oh, okay. Well, that one... I'll remember to stay away from. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. So if you're, you know, thinking about, uh, you know, changing jobs or something, then did, remember that like, these are definitely the, the biggest in the industry. So, uh, you know, if you're making 70,000 now, you're going to have a hard time going to your boss and saying, look, t- uh, Twitter pays 500,000 for my level of experience. So you better up me to at least 400. You know, it's probably not going to happen. But it gives you something to aim for if that's a goal of yours, you know. And I do think that there's a lot to be said for having one of these big names on your resume, even if it's just for a couple of years um, or even one year, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you, the next thing I think is important. What can you lose? Yeah. So we talked about all the things you have to gain from uh, from changing jobs. But, what, you know, what do you have to lose? Like, obviously, the people, right? So you like the people you work with you may never meet people like that in your life again it could just be gone you know those relationships that you build you may never find that again next job may suck you may never have it as good (laughs) well that's that's the grass isn't always greener right and that's that's a legit thing that happens is everything looks amazing you get there and maybe the culture isn't a good fit maybe I don't know. Maybe people don't like telling dad jokes. Like th- there could be yeah. all kinds of things that are problematic, right? Yeah. No, I'll, no jokes. I'm out. Forget right? it. Yep. Yeah. And you never know too. Like you may uh, have a friend that works at a company and like everything's great according to them. And then you get in there and you're on a different team or you like, you just start to see the, the things that, uh, that don't bother them as much bother you a lot. And, uh, that stinks. And so there's a risk there. Yep. And so, you know, that's what it is. Uh, also seniority. So, um, one thing that I think sometimes people struggle with is like they work at somewhere for a couple of years and they go to the next place and they're a new person and they find that the things that they say don't have as much weight as they're used to. So they say, Hey, uh, you know, no one asked my opinion or maybe I said that we shouldn't do it this way. And I got downvoted and people didn't respect, you know, my experience from the last company and they, you know, feel offended about it. And so, 
I think that's something you got to, you know, know that it takes some time to kind of build up that social equity and people have to kind of take your advice a few times and talk to you a few times before they really start kind of giving you the same kind of weight that you had somewhere else. And it's not fair to expect people to kind of hop to because you say, well, I worked at a better place than this and they did it this way. Like that never goes over well. And also just, I feel like anytime you appeal to your credentials, like you say, like, well, I went to this college or I worked on this project. So you should, you know, you should see things my way. It never goes well. And it always feels like whenever you appeal to your credentials, that your argument is weak. I feel yeah, like I would agree. So that's kind of, if you find yourself doing that, like you should reevaluate what you're trying to advocate for and figure out a better way to do it. Mm-hmm. Also, there's a lot of comfort, like changing jobs really stinks. Like it's rough. It's hard. You're going to be stressed out. You're not going to feel productive. It takes, it's got like a psychic cost to it, I think. And so you got to kind of weigh that and even just interviewing, you know, we kind of take it for granted that you're able to get all these jobs, but a lot of these things like Google, Amazon, Microsoft, they tell you straight up, you can expect to interview more than once for these jobs if you want them. So they, they know that the way they interview is tough and it leaves a lot of great applicants behind. And they tell you, we know it's not perfect, but keep coming and eventually you'll get through if it's, you know, if it can happen. So that's expensive on your soul. It takes a lot of energy. It is. Yeah. So I mean, that's about everything I want to talk about. Creating. All right. Well, what's the takeaway from this then? Do we dust off the resume then? Uh, <laughs> Honestly, I don't know. You know, like a, a bunch of people quit. The job you know, ecosystem is changing. It's going to benefit people in lower cost of living areas. And it's going to uh, be less advantageous for people in more expensive uh, areas. But I feel like looking at the levels that we just talked about, I feel like those levels, those numbers are going to be so much higher than what people are expecting if they've never looked that you can see that even if there is some rebalancing, that there's room for you to get a raise. Yeah, I was going to say that that's ultimately the takeaway is just be aware that that these are out there, right? It, it doesn't. It doesn't mean you're going to be able to get it because like Joe said, it's, it's hard to interview for these things. Like it's, it's like, it's like studying for a final exam, right? In, in college, like it, it takes effort, but knowing that it's out there, like you can, there's a lot of people that just don't know that that's, that's possible. Right. And, and, and just having that in the back of your head might give you something to go for. I had never heard of levels.fyi until I'd never even heard of the top level domain FYI. So, so like, you know, learning about that website, that was pretty cool. So, uh, all right. Well then with that, we head into my favorite portion of the show. No, it's not. Can't steal it. Yeah. I tried. I tried. Alan was shaking his head. Fine. We'll head into Alan's favorite portion of the show. It's the tip of the week. That's right. And I've got a few this week. Oh, oh of be- course he does. I'd actually show been off. doing, yeah, I've been doing some development, you know, it, it was new to me. And so <laughs> I found things. Um, so the first one, man, I can't even tell you. So I love GitHub. I love Git, but I did not love GitHub PR interfaces because you go to the PR and go to the files tab 
And everything's expanded. And I'm like, man, I want the file list. Like, give me the file list. And there was nothing on the page to actually see the file list. But that little Chevron arrow that you can click, that you can collapse and, and expand one at a time, if you hold down the Alt button and click that thing, it'll do them all on the page at once. Do that. It's It will make I you happy. That. That's nice. Yeah, that was so good. I, I was. I so, just used the Viewed button. That's yeah. good if you have like less than a hundred. <laughs> yeah, if you got a ton of files like I did recently, dude. Like seriously, it was infuriating that page. Um. So yeah, I think I go back to like episode many. ninety and have yeah. a listen to like get. Ain't no such thing. Ain't <laughs> no sometimes, such thing. sometimes life. Yeah, <laughs> life life happens, and then and then you have to find out how to deal with it. Away right, from so my four thousand file commit. That's fine. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. I'm just going to rubber awesome. stamp it. Um, so, so the, uh, the next one, uh, I was I actually really, really cry at that. <laughs> but, like, let's be honest. Once it gets past 20. Oh, like, it's well before 20. Maybe 10. I don't know. Two, maybe. Yeah. Two. Um, yeah, there's a point where it's like, yeah, ain't nobody got time for this. Um, all right. So this next one I'm actually really excited about. So, um, Working in Google Cloud, there I've been writing Kotlin code because interacting with a lot of Java libraries and whatnot. And there were some things that I just could not wrap my head around how to write the code to use the Google library, the SDK. Well, Google is awesome, and they actually have a Kotlin section for using Google Cloud SDKs. You can go to cloud.google.com slash Kotlin. And it is how to code for GCP using Kotlin. And it's absolutely awesome. Like that's just a killer resource. So Kotlin is growing in popularity apparently. And then the last one I want to share, this was from Dave Follett. I don't remember. There there was a conversation about erasing hard drives. And I, I, I think we had this conversation like a month ago or something. I can't remember. Um, but he shared an article that had a bunch of different ways to go about it, including free and paid. Um, so if you are needing to wipe a bunch of hard drives that are laying around your house, you know, here's a, here's a nice set of resources to do it. So that is all that I have. So were these like specific to PC then? No, like, these, or- these had Linux, these had windows, these had like a little bit of everything, which is, I think why he shared that. Well, I'm, I guess like, is this faster than the built-in utilities that are already there? Like why? I don't remember. You have to read the article, sir. Oh, I, I don't I'm remember. Sorry. Yeah. I don't know. I can't remember. <laughs> I sent right. this to myself like a month ago and, and then I totally forgot about it. So yeah, that's why it's coming up again. Well, I have an interesting one. So uh, a while back, I gave a tip of using uh, NVim, which was basically a, a NeoVim. It, it's a, an implementation of Vim that uh, strips away some of the kind of legacy stuff that, um, you know, I guess it's kind of debatable, but it's uh, it streamlines things, makes it even faster, and uh, it just kind of drops some support for some older things in lieu of some newer things. Well, NVChad uh, is... And I forgot to say it's from Fuzzy Muffin. 
Tip is from Fuzzy Muffin. Thank you, Fuzzy Muffin. How else can I forget that? Uh, let me write that down. All right. Uh, <laughs> I, I pasted like super big too. So like the notes is like Fuzzy Muffin. Uh, so anyway, NV Chad is a, uh, a nice uh, windowing tool that you actually you clone the repository into your nvim directory and it uh gives you a nice face for nvim and so you're using vi but it's got a nice like support for windows and tabs and opening uh, multiple files you can do things with your mouse which is really nice so although i do use vim just for like little you know little edits i'm definitely far from an expert the things that frustrate me the most have just been like trying to navigate between files and just sort of little things that I'm used to having with the IDE. And I know there's plugins and stuff for it. And that's basically what this is. It looks really nice. It looks kind of like VS Code, actually. Yeah, I was going to say, it VI. looks a lot like I thought this was VS Code when I first looked at it. Yeah, it's really nice. So, yeah, give that a shot if you're a, a Vim user. And this might be a, a really nice thing for you. And, sorry, a Neo Vim user. Very cool. All right, and with that, we head into my favorite portion of the show. You're listening to Get Blocks with your host Michael, and uh, I have uh, I have a couple of tips here for you. <clears throat> so uh, a while back, uh, in a previous episode, we had talked about using subtree, the Git subtree command, as a way to uh, um, work with another repo in in your repo. Well, I've got some cooler options for you. And I think I think at the time, too, I had actually referred to it as a way to uh, um, merge another repo into your repo. But technically, it's not like merging it. It was more, uh, I later learned, it's more like um, in lieu of like a sub-module kind of approach to where you can have like another repo baked into another repo, right? But... Um, it's still like Git still knows like, Oh, that thing is, you know, coming from another place. <clears throat> well, uh, I found what I was wanting to do is to like merge two repos together into one. And so I found this really great stack overflow answer <clears throat> where the question is, how do you merge two Git repos? And the surprising thing is, is that the accepted answer for the question, um, Actually, I don't even know if this one had an accepted. Oh, yeah. It does have an accepted uh, answer where they do use subtree as part of the the approach. But the the cleaner answer, which by far has more votes, is this other path. I'm not going to go into all the commands there, but it's just basically a very simple approach of where you add a remote for the other repo, you fetch it, and then you do a merge, which one of the merge options is allow unrelated histories. And that's the key is get merge dash dash allow unrelated histories. And that thing will allow you to, uh, when you, when you merge in the history from that other repo into the, you know, the, whatever the, your main one is going to be, um, it's, it's super clean because then, you don't have like Git doesn't think like, Oh, well some of this is coming from that repo and some of this is coming from this repo. Like, like it would be in a subtree uh, format in this case, you know, it's super clean. You just have two remotes and everything is merged into the one repo. So um, I'm going to have a link to that, but you know, as I was going through this whole effort too, um, 
you know, like you might want to just take an inventory of like, well, what is my what, you know, repo? Do I like, like, is this a problematic repo that I'm even starting with? Right. So, uh, you know, they'll find a bunch of answers and questions out there that will end up eventually you're going to probably download Git Sizer, um, which I'll ha- I have a link to the GitHub project from GitHub. Uh, but with Git Sizer, you can just say Git Space Sizer and it'll, it'll tell you all kinds of stats about your, your repo. Like, uh, what, you know, if you have any like really large blobs, how many directories, how many objects are being or, you know, referenced, things like that. And it, and it'll call out like, here's problematic areas of your repo, right? But specifically, you might find that, okay, I've done that. And now like I realize, oh crap, I have some like really large, um, files in my repo, right? Or, or I need to go track them down, I guess would be a better way to say it. So there's another question on Stack Overflow about how to find and identify large commits in your Git history. And again, the accepted answer is not the one I'm going to link to. Um, because in this case, the accepted answer has like, oh, hey, uh, you know, here, write this bash script and uh, it'll like iterate through everything, you know, one by one. And uh, it's going to be slow on a large repo versus the amazing answer, which is literally titled a blazingly fast shell one liner. And it is not lying. Now, <clears throat> they do use the term one liner a bit loose here because Little. really it's like one command c- piped into the next command, piped into the next. And to improve the readability of it, it is spread across multiple lines. But, you know, uh, technically you only press the inner key one time to execute it. So I guess that's all that matters. But <clears throat> the key thing here, though, is that like they, they provide the base script here. The, the author of this answer did a fabulous job. They provide the base, uh, you know, what is that, like six lines of of a shell script and they have like, Hey, if you're on a Mac OS, you need to install this extra thing for that to work, blah, blah, blah. And if you want to filter it, so like maybe you want to do uh file sizes, right? Which in my case I did, then they're like, Hey, add this line and it's already includes the pipe for you. And they tell you where to add it into the previous command. Right. Um, so the beauty of that though, is that, like for example, um, public GitHub, right? There's a a hard limit there that you can't push a file into a repo in the public GitHub that it's larger than 100 meg. So that's where like that file size, that the ability to filter that matters. But now you find all of those large files, and you're like, well, what do I do now, right? Well, there's some older utilities out there for modifying your repo. So if you've ever been through it, you'll know you'll note the names will sound familiar of either BFG or filter branch. But there is a new kid on the block who is the new king of that of that domain called Git Filter Repo. And it's a much better way to remove those large files from your Git history. Now, we've talked about this though. Uh, you know, beware there's strong warning sign here because any changes to history rewrite history. And so therefore you're changing the git commit ID from wherever the file was, the large file was introduced from that commit forward. Every commit later will be different from it. Right. 
but you know, maybe you have to do it. And so, uh, you know, there you go. Um, you know what? I think there was another one that I forgot to add in here. I'll, I'll add it to the list. Um, because that commit that, that answer from stack overflow will give you the, I believe the blob ID the or the object ID from Git of the large file, but you don't know the commit that introduced it. And I believe, uh, you need the commit that introduced it. Um, no, no, I'm thinking them back now. I'm thinking Git filter. You can just give it the path. Um, and it doesn't have to be a file that's in your current path. Cause like maybe you've long since removed that file, but yet it'll still go back through and find it. Uh, so, so it's pretty cool. Um, and then there's some other things that, that I learned too, uh, going through this exercise that I thought I would just share. Cause I think we've talked about like maybe doing like a shallow, uh, like a, a, if you wanted to do a shallow fetch or a shallow clone where you could specify a depth. Right. But I found out that both get fetch and merge. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I wrote merge there. I meant clone. Dang it. I'll go back and fix that. But, um, get fetch and get clone. They support another option called shallow exclude. And what you can do is shallow exclude is you can include it as many times as necessary. Right. And everything that you provide there. So let's say you have, uh, whatever your main trunk is. So let's just call it, call it trunk. But then you have branch, branch one, branch two, branch three. So you can say shallow exclude branch one, shallow exclude branch two, shallow exclude branch three. And when it, fe- it fetches or clones, depending on what your operation is, it's going to look at whatever is in trunk and anything that is reachable in those other branches, it'll exclude them. And where that's helpful is let's say you have a repo that, you know, has grown to be a big size and you want to um, only take a portion of that over to some other repo. Like maybe you want to like split it off into two. You want to, you want to take one repo and split it off into two. Then it might be helpful to just start with like, uh, Hey, let me get only the things that are, you know, in, if, if you had it branched off, I mean, it kind of makes that assumption that you had those two things, you know, different branches, but, um, you know, that would be one way to, uh, like, let's go back to our, our, one of the Git workflows that we talked about last time where like, you know, you have a branch for version, uh, one, a branch for version two and a branch for version three. And maybe you want to split off the new development that's in trunk. And so maybe you want to say like, Hey, anything that's available in branches one, two, and three exclude that I, you know, if it's, if it's reachable on those, then I don't want it, um, anymore. So any rate, uh, you know, that, uh, contrived example may not fit your needs, but you, you get the idea though. It's, it was a pretty cool option. And then lastly was again, related to public GitHub, uh, another one of the many limitation or limits that GitHub puts on things. So like not only the file size, but they have a limitation on how large the push can be. And by that, that push limit is, uh, two gig. And I think maybe they have it tiered to where like, uh, depending on what, like what level, uh, deal you have with GitHub, maybe you can do a larger push. I don't remember. I'm, I'm, I don't remember if that's, if that's accurate or not, but the point is, is like at least, uh, you know, that out of the box is to a two gig push, which, you know, you're saying like, why would I ever push that like that much? Like that's, that's huge. But if you were like, you know, 
trying to push up a, an entire old repository from somewhere else to GitHub, for example, to public GitHub, uh, you know, even if you were going to keep it private, right, then that might be a reason. And, you know, there's other reasons why you might say like, well, you know, that that's too large a repo anyways. And, you know, keep all that, you know, aside, like, let's just say that this is the cards you've been dealt, right? You need to move a repo from somewhere else into public GitHub. And it's and you know, because of all the history that you're bringing over with it, the repo size is going to be a push, a git push command that would be larger than two gig. So what you can do is you can actually do the equivalent of like, Hey, push up to this amount of history. Right. And then, and then I'll, maybe I'll do a, a second push where it's like, you know, maybe I push the first, a uh, first gig in one or a gig and a half. Let's say you had a three gig repo. So I pushed the first gig and a half in, you know, up to this commit and then uh, the next one in another commit. And, you know, uh, it's totally contrived because I don't know like how you would even find like, Hey, which commit ID represents the first one and a half gigs of the repo, but forget that for a moment. So uh, the point is, is that, with your git push command, you can specify the commit ID colon and then the branch. And that and git will treat that as up to that commit. You're going to push that branch up to that commit ID. But it's a weird format because like let's say if your remote name was like the default, you know, the typical origin, right? So git push origin commit ID colon and branch name. And you're saying, hey, push this branch name up to that commit. But if that branch name doesn't already exist up there yet, because this is the first push that you're doing, then you need to specify the branch name in a special format where it's refs slash heads slash and then the branch name. And um, it'll push it up there. So I know that was like a bunch to take in. Like I, I rattled off a whole bunch of things really fast. And mostly because like I'm not trying to like, you know, for you to like, grab every one of those git commands off the top, you know, as I said it, because instead, because it is so much, I'm just going to have a whole bunch of links and stuff in the show notes for this episode. And, uh, you know, yeah, that, uh, that concludes this episode of git blocks. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you've been having uh, some fun lately. <sighs> <laughs> he doesn't love Git anymore. <laughs> yeah. You're over it. That's version. No, no, my, my, my frustrations have not been with Git per se, uh, here, here more recently. Why are you looking at me? Um, <laughs> uh, well, it was more, uh, I feel like I throw this technology under the bus so much. So I hate to, to do it again. I hate to say it, but like I've been fighting Jenkins and I haven't been getting along lately. And so, uh-huh. like, that's where my frustrations have been. Not with Git, but, uh, you know, yeah. Yeah, fun times. I mean, I, I still, I love Jenkins. I'll still love you. I'll still keep you on my Christmas card list. But for right now, can we just agree, like, you know, we need to each go to you our own corner. We, like, we need to take a minute. You need some time. Break. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we were on a break. So, Yeah. <sighs> Oh, cool. Well, I mean, that's uh, that's it for the show. Um, so I hope you y'all let, let us know in the comments what you think of uh, the stuff we talked about. If you're, you know, what you love is those uh, salaries. I'm still like, I don't know, just starstruck. I guess it's crazy. And with that, uh, oh, we're on to my for- portion of the show. I forgot. 
I'm so sorry. It's the end. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm so sorry. I I totally forgot there. Yeah. Uh, You know, it's only like, this is only our second episode, guys. Cut me some slack. That's right. So... (laughs) Uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you like to find your podcast. And if you can, uh, as Alan so somberly asked, if you could leave us a review, we would appreciate it. Oh, and right. you can find some helpful links at www.codingblocks.net slash review. You said you said something like that. There were three W's in there. There was just like, I just, every hump of the W got pronounced. That's only fair. All right. So while you're up there at CodyBlocks.net, make sure you check out our copious amount of show notes, examples, discussions, and more, and leave a comment. You know, you can do that. And you can leave feedback, questions, and rants on our Slack channel, CodyBlocks.net slash Slack. Yeah, and uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter if you can handle it, at CodyBlocks, or head over to CodyBlocks.net, and you can find all our social links at the top of the page. 